You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 213. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Aptive. Aptive is that audio fitness app you may have heard me talk about before because I love it. It is an amazing app if you are looking to do some workouts with a trainer from the comfort of your own home or your travels, wherever you may be. If you just want to be able to turn on your phone and start working out with a trainer at any level of difficulty on a variety of different workouts like indoor running, outdoor running, Pilates, yoga, meditation, you name it, head over and check out Aptive. In fact, they have a new aspect of Aptive that I'm also excited to share from any mamas-to-be. If you are pregnant, they are launching a new pregnancy portion of the app with workouts tailored just for pregnant women. So if you wanna check that out or, of course, all of the other channels that are not directly focused on pregnancy, head over to Aptive.com. That's A-A-P-T-I-V.com. Use the code The Lively Show, and that's going to give you a free 30 day trial, which is much longer than their typical ones. So, this is a way for you to get a month of workouts totally for free. Again, that's aptive.com and use the code The Lively Show. All right, now this is our May QA, and as you are listening to this, I am in Byron Bay, Australia at a retreat for channeling. Yes, you may have heard me talk about writing and listening to my intuition. You may have even heard me reference Joe in the Brooke Castillo episode recently. And that is what I'm here to learn how to do in a deeper way. I'm loving it so far. I feel like I kind of have my own version of adult Hogwarts that I'm at. It's not really that, but it's so amazing to just expose myself to so many new ways of listening to intuition that I never previously have tried on my own. So I'm sure in season four of The Lively Show, I'll be sharing more about this and what I'm learning. But now let's talk about today's episode. This is the May Q&A episode, and it's a continuation of the questions that people had asked me in April. Because there was 95 questions, there was no way I could answer them all in just one episode. So I split it into two parts. So we're going to continue with a variety of questions on a ton of different topics. Let's jump right in. Let's go to the show. Okay, let's start with our second batch of April questions. The first one comes from Jessica W. Boehm who said, do you ever struggle with explaining your lifestyle to others, particularly those who live in a more typical way? Does your ego ever flare up when people don't understand your choices, making you want to justify yourself and be understood, even though you know it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks? Big thanks for all you do, Jess. Love to you from Tennessee. Oh, this is such an interesting question, Jessica. Yes, sometimes my ego can get triggered. People will ask me, you know, in an Uber, for example, or just at a coffee shop or wherever I might be, they will kind of ask, where do you live? And then I have to say, I don't live anywhere or I'm homeless or whatever. And then they'll ask, you know, where are you from in the States? And then I don't really ever know what to say about the States. I mean, I guess I technically came from Michigan, but I was only living in Michigan for nine months. And before that, I was one year in Austin, which isn't a very long time either. And then before that, it was Chicago for seven years. So I really guess like Michigan could be the answer or Chicago feels like the most like home to me 
but that was two years before, three years ago now. So yeah, always an interesting answer or it's just an interesting set of questions to answer. Then they ask, so what do you do while you're traveling full time or how are you doing this? Sometimes they just think I'm on permanent holiday and I say that I have an online business and they ask about that. And so then I say podcasts and online classes and they go, how do you get paid? And then yeah, basically it can be easy for the ego to flare up. But I think now I don't even really care if they get it or not. But yeah, it's happened before where I want them to understand. Now it's it's happening less and less. Like really, I just say I have podcasts and online classes. And I just kind of usually leave it at that unless they ask a little bit more. Next up, shopgirl0007 says, hey Jess, I have been interested in reading some Abraham Hicks. What book would you recommend reading first? As you guys know, it is The Law of Attraction on Audible. Now we have nine to fly girl who said, hey Jess, what are your top tips for RTW travel planning? Ready to wear travel planning? From financial to selecting destinations to learning local languages and beyond. By the way, will you be doing more travel related vlogs anytime soon? I really enjoyed those. No vlogs coming up anytime soon. I don't know. I haven't really been in the vlogging spirit lately. So I just haven't been. Maybe when I'm not doing this alone, I'll feel more inspired, especially if a partner wants to vlog for me. (laughs) I have no idea if that'll happen, but that might be a way for it to happen. I don't really mind being in vlogs. I just don't really feel like doing them myself because I think in part, it's like my whole life is this. So it's kind of like vlogging is kind of like working all the time. So like then my whole life becomes work, which doesn't really feel like alignment right now. In terms of RTW travel planning, I, I don't know what RTW is unless it's ready to wear. <laughs> so top tips for travel, find flow and alignment with your intuition. That's what I would say. Asking your intuition for the guidance is where I would begin and follow and end, basically. All things intuition. And really, I think I've learned how to hang back and be patient to wait for the next destination to appear. So... That is really interesting, and it's a very subtle shift. I don't even know how I can describe when it feels like time, other than to say, I just wait until there's kind of this leaping up inside of me that's like, yes, this, now, that. That's what I want to do. I wait for that feeling. But I think that most people end up making their decisions before they have that feeling out of fear of dealing with the uncertainty for longer. So they start getting this ego logicizing with them with this logic and rationalization that's like, hey, the prices of tickets are gonna go up if you don't choose it now. You might not find an Airbnb that's gonna be exactly what you want if you don't think ahead. And all of those sorts of fear and scarcity mindsets, those questions often, I think, or thoughts start to plague people so that they feel this urge to commit to something before they have the yes, this, now feeling. And I've learned how to really wait. I've actually taken a few lessons in surfing and I feel like this is similar. I think a lot of people live their lives in the surfing analogy where they're trying to get on the board before the waters actually come under their board to lift them and take them to the next place. So they're not catching the wave at the right time. I've been learning how to pay attention to the often subtle, but sometimes not so subtle, leaping of clarity and shift to positivity that's in my intuition. So I've just gotten better at waiting 
and being patient, which is so funny to say, because I'm not necessarily by nature a super patient person. As you can tell, I've got a lot of energy. I like to take action, but I have gotten so much better at being patient and waiting for that, yes, this now feeling. Now we have CJ Harrington who said, as I've studied Byron Katie and Abraham Hicks, I've realized that any unhappiness I have is a direct result of my own thoughts and vibrations. Amen, CJ, which leaves me feeling that everything in my life that isn't ideal is my fault. But then how does other people's actions fit into the picture? If your partner cheats on you or your boss lies about your career projection, how do you deal with the big stuff without blaming yourself? How do I identify the bad vibrations that led to bad results and change them for the future? Okay, so there's probably like three or four questions here. So let's try to look at them one at a time. Okay, how does this factor into people's actions and how they fit into the picture? All right, so people have independent will. Your boss can lie to you and your partner can cheat on you. They're allowed to do whatever they want because they are free agents, just like you are a free agent. You are able to do whatever you want to do. Even when you're in captivity, whether you eat or whether you submit to someone's, what they're saying you should do or not is still in your control. I guess if you were bound and gagged, then you might not have as much control. But short of being bound and gagged and being kidnapped, you have control over what you choose to do. We're just often so run by societal norms. And in this case, the societal norm is you please me so that I can be happy. And like you're saying, Byron Katie and Abraham Hicks don't ascribe to that belief. That's a story our society has told. But those teachings would teach you that you are in control. You are in control of your reaction to anyone's actions. So you're in control of your actions. They're in control of their actions. You're in control of your story and your thoughts around their actions. And they're in control of their story and their thoughts about your actions. So does this mean that you're not going to be triggered or that you're unconscious emotions and patterns will not be triggered when someone does something that upsets you? Not necessarily. You might totally be triggered, but you're going to be, what I think you're doing by listening to Byron Katie and Abraham Hicks, is developing the awareness that you don't have to keep thinking that thought. You can drop the story around it. So will you have maybe those initial reactions that are programmed or pre-programmed from the life you've led thus far? Yeah, you're probably gonna have those because it's a neural network that's already ingrained in your brain by society and your own experiences, that those are bad and this is how you must handle quote unquote bad things. But once that happens, it's still in your awareness to develop the strength to choose different thoughts. Now, it can take a while to create a new neural network. So give yourself some patience here, but start on the small stuff, not on the big stuff. Starting with these huge deals is not the place to start. Let's start with the little stuff. Let's start with the traffic jams. Let's start with the line at the Starbucks. Let's start with the rude waiter. Let's start with the rude customer in the restaurant. Let's start with this little stuff, not the huge stuff, and start recognizing when we are reacting to someone and giving them our emotional well-being 
because we're giving it, and we're not even giving it to them. We're just choosing to react and tell a story and we're acting out this play in our heads. So start with the little things and then build the bigger things. Don't start with the level 10 thing. That's actually, Abraham says that all the time. Don't start with the huge deal. Start with the little stuff. And also, since you mentioned Byron Katie, using the work by Byron Katie would be a great way to actually work through any of those beliefs that you're feeling around their actions. And then your question is, how do I identify the bad vibrations that led to the bad results and change them for the future? Again, I would actually use Byron Katie's work as a wonderful tool to start turning those around. So check out thework.org if you are unfamiliar with Byron Katie's work. It is amazing. Now we have Kelsey Driscoll who said, my question is, do you ever get out of alignment when you think about getting older and aging? I'm in my mid twenties and have recently recognized that being young, quote unquote, has felt like a part of my identity for so long that I get overwhelmed thinking about that shifting as I get older. Would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you for all your wonderful shows. Listening each week has been life-changing so far. Thank you. Oh, this is such an interesting one. And I remember going through my late 20s and feeling this shift too. You're right. I think that there is, and I sense it in some people, not all people, in their 20s as well. Now, I'm only 32. So, you know, I'm sure there's like a 45-year-old or a 65. Gretchen's probably listening to this (laughs) 65 going, girl, talk it out. But I'm still obviously younger than some listening to this too. But I can speak to younger than me in my own experience of my 20s. So Kelsey, maybe I can help you out here. I remember feeling that shift and I sense it sometimes in other people where they are really aware in the younger years about age and being young versus old. And I find or sense that as I get older and as I move into my later, whatever, early, mid 30s, and I sense from other people in their 30s, late 30s, 40s, 50s, the age thing becomes less of a thing for a while. Now, maybe once you're in the late 40s to 50s, maybe I can't really speak to that, but I think that there is this hierarchy. It's almost like the people in their 20s or young 20s, mid 20s are still kind of almost in this school like mentality where there's like seniors and freshmen and sophomores and juniors and there's kind of this like pacing it's very hierarchical and as you get out of that as the further of the orbit away from that you get i think that age becomes much more fluid and much less identifying now this might just be my own experience of it but yeah i feel less concerned with it so i think what you're doing is recognizing that that identity is something you no longer need to hold on to and i think you're going to loosen its grip on it as you go i think and you have the opportunity to soften into a less defined identity. I have an episode that aired recently about identity, and I'd really suggest you go back and listen to that one if you haven't already, around the idea that the only identity that perhaps would be the most useful for us to attach to is the one that we are growth-seeking beings, growing, evolving, and changing, and ever-expanding. So in that case, Ever expanding is actually awesome. It has nothing to do with age, but the continuation in every moment of expansion. So maybe going from, instead of saying you're young to you're ever expanding, that works at every age and every level, no matter where you are. So that might be something to consider is instead of young, focus on your ever expanding nature. Now we have Chris Murphy7 who said, having lived abroad, have your feelings about living in the States changed? Do you think flow will bring you back to a more permanent home anytime soon, especially when looking for a partner? 
Oh, this is such an interesting question. Yeah, I don't personally at this point in time really feel like living in the States anytime soon. I don't. I really like a lot of other places and I think that the world's a big place and the States is great in a lot of ways, but it's a place I think I'd rather at this point, as I'm speaking to you right now, rather visit than live. Do I think that Flo will bring me to a more permanent home anytime soon? That's so interesting because I keep floating around with this bigger suitcase, which is totally fine, but I just know I don't like moving it around that much, even though it's what I'm in right now. It's the phase I'm in. And in terms of when looking for a partner, I had a person recently, kind of a psychic, if you will, it was a psychic actually, (laughs) tell me that she saw me as a puzzle piece and that my partner is kind of like he's got like the puzzle. So he's got all the pieces in place. He's got the community, the friends, the job, the family. He's got, or not the family like partnership, but he's got all of these pieces except for the partner piece. And he's like looking for the partner piece to fit into his puzzle. And here I am in my suitcase floating around the world with no formed community. Obviously I have friends and family in the States and elsewhere around the world, but I don't have any permanent home or anything like that. So I could easily adapt to any place that this partner might be. So her intuition was telling her that she has a feeling I'm going to find my partner and just snap into the puzzle that is already established kind of in his life. So That kind of honestly, I know that might be interestingly a trigger for some egos. I could see people saying, Jess, you know, you're the puzzle and all this stuff. Yeah, I have my life and I have my career and I have everything that I have. Nothing is being taken away. But at the same time, I don't have community. I don't have roots and I don't live near my family in the States, nor would I necessarily go live near my family in the States if I moved back. So I'm really flexible and open to whatever community or roots this other person might have. So yes, I am a full fledged puzzle in my own right. But at the same time, I am in terms of community and roots and location, completely a little puzzle piece that can totally snap in. So yeah, I wonder if as I spy myself moving slower, getting flowers and candles at the Airbnbs I'm staying at and stuff, I can see that this might be a slowing down to a more permanent stop. But I think it will probably be like the psychic had predicted that it will be when I find the right partner and I have that knowing. So we'll see. Who knows what will happen? I mean, if my intuition told me to be somewhere, you guys know me well enough, I will go and be there. So it may not be a partner, but I have a feeling that that does seem to make a lot of sense because thus far I've met amazing places and people along the way and not have I once heard this is where you need to be location-wise. So we'll see. Time will tell. Now we have Maggie Jolson who said, what's your favorite thing about traveling and living abroad? The favorite thing, the lack of schedule. I love having a free schedule. I love being usually for the most part really off in terms of schedule with the US. I think when I was on schedule with the US, I last had this framework and mentality of filling up the schedule with appointments and meetings and all the sorts of stuff. And I love having a free schedule to flow between things that I really want to do. And it's also taught me that I don't actually need to be out of the time zones of people in order to do that. It's actually a choice. I just never exercised that choice in the past. So even if I do go back to the States or have a more routine or familiar type of lifestyle that's less mobile, I hope to continue this freedom and flexibility that comes with my schedule. 
Next up, we have Carly Herrenberger who said, hi Jess, do you ever feel guilty or that you're being selfish by following your journey and attracting what you want, especially when people you love are not in as good of a place in their lives? If so, how do you deal with it or prevent those feelings? Thanks for sharing your adventures and learnings with us. Okay, so sometimes, yes, it happens. My ego will start going, okay, how can I have this life when other people don't? And is it really true? And do I really deserve it? Now that's all ego stuff, all ego. Intuition's not saying anything. Intuition has nothing to do with that. But yes, the ego sometimes does. So in that case, sometimes what I've been doing is saying, you know what? Let's just see what happens if I do it for 30 days. Let's just see. I don't know that this is really true 100%. This is just the best guess that I have right now about how the world really works. And let me give it a try. Let's just see what happens if I try it. Sometimes that will get me out of the ego, worthiness, deservingness, shame spiral. And also it's about recognizing that we all get to live the lives we want to live and It's going to be really triggering just even hearing me say that because so many people might say, I would not want this. And I have points in my life too, when I look back on difficulties, things that I don't share with you guys because it's not something to be shared because it's not just my story to tell. I've gone through difficult things. And like I said, it's actually the reason I do the work that I do, but I don't go into the details of it because it's honestly no one's business and not only my story to tell. But even those really deeply dark and difficult things that I've experienced that have led me to going through the work that I've done to get to where I am today, I can't say I would have wanted them. I can't say that I would have picked them from a this is going to be great to go through point of view. But the lessons I've learned in this lifetime from them and the choices I've made to grow in part because of those negative and deeply difficult heartbreaking experiences have given me the perspective and ability to do what I do today in a way that hopefully is helping you right now. And I know that that's within my control and it's not within my control to project or prescribe to anyone else. It's just my job to follow my intuition and to help in ways that feel aligned for me, for those that also are out there as well. And I can't force someone to be helped. I can only do the work, and like you guys know, I'm doing the Pencils of Promise. I build schools in areas that don't have schools or real structures to actually go to school during the rainy season, etc. I'm working on programming for girls in Africa as well. That will be the next thing after the schools are built. So there'll be programming for those types of things because those are things I'm passionate about. And at the same time, I can't control everybody's life experience. I can just control my own. And since I believe that this is true and I can't say that I know why everybody has a life they've had or that I would have even chose the difficulties I've had, I can say that there is a part of me that has learned from those experiences and those learnings I appreciate. I appreciate having learned what I've learned because of those difficult things. And I think everyone has a choice to how they handle the things that they're dealt as well. And if they don't have the resources, understanding, or ability to, in this lifetime, improve their life circumstances, 
the best thing I can do is just be an example of someone who is because I don't think actually telling someone that it's possible is as useful as being an example of what is possible, if that makes sense. I think being the example is actually the best thing I can do not to prescribe to anyone else because some people in this lifetime are not going to want a message that is similar to what this is. And that's okay. And I don't need to get involved in their life or try to change their life because it is their life. It is up to me to offer to help and to do things I feel called to do, but I cannot do it all. I cannot help everyone. And I cannot change the opinions of those who choose not to want to hear it. So I think... (laughs) That is a super rambling answer. And like I said, it's not perfect. And if you have any concerns around this idea, I would talk to your intuition personally, deeply within yourself to understand the answer that is right for you. Now we have N.L. Heath who said, what's the first step to start meditating? Newbie here. Love listening to your podcast. You rock and are so an inspiration. Aw, thank you, N.L. Okay, so the first step to start meditating I would suggest finding a meditation app that you want to try. I actually have done an episode about my five favorite meditation apps, so I'll put a link in the show notes for you so you can go check those out. Now we have Oh So You Coaching says, I would like to know what role does your faith play, if any, in your everyday life? A lot of what you speak about has biblical implications without referencing it. I personally would like to know if you identify with one particular faith but choose not to talk about it much out of fear of losing followers. I love you and your spirit. Just curious to know your thoughts on faith. Okay, so I was raised growing up. I was raised Catholic. I have an Irish-Italian side of my family. My dad's half Irish, half Italian. So my grandparents obviously were pretty Catholic. And I appreciated the teachings of the Catholic faith, especially when I was little. Oh my goodness. It was a source of deep comfort and guidance during a period that was pretty difficult. And that was really great. And then when I went to college, I really rethought everything. And in that deep cosmic self-reflection and difficult period of my life. I've also looked from fresh eyes instead of at a faith I inherited to a faith that was deeply bubbling from within. And in that, I have always loved the Christian faith as much as I've always been also since I was in seventh grade. I nicknamed myself Inner Peace in basketball. I self-named myself. I was not a peaceful kid. And actually, I've actually been thinking about that nickname lately and realizing that even though I wasn't peaceful, I think that what I was really referencing without having any clue, Inner Peace, what does that sound like? Intuition? inner peace. It's not that I am peaceful, but that there is an inner peace within me. Oh man, that was pretty eye-opening a few weeks ago. And I go, oh my gosh, maybe I, since I was a very, very young kid, have had this tie to intuition at a deeper level than I've ever consciously known. So in my 20s, I actually reevaluated what I believe and I see all of the phase. I said this in our last Q&A. I talked about holism. This is a term, again, I don't know if other people use it. I'm using it in my own definition of saying that science, spirit, everything is connected. And to me, all of the spiritual teachings that resonate for me have universal implication 
And I really love Rob Bell and his explanation and understanding of the Bible as a progressive document for its time, that some pieces of it continue to resonate with us in our society and some pieces of it no longer resonate with where our consciousness as a society is. So things like slavery or, you know, difficult things in the Bible that used to be okay, we as a group, as a collective, have often evolved past, but there's other aspects of it that are still very true, like being very respectful of the land and looking out for those that are also with less resources and that sort of thing. So those things are really progressive and still seem to apply to our consciousness where others have faded away. I see all the faiths as aspects of the same truths and I take what I like and I leave the rest. I look at the spiritual and scientific world as a buffet. Now, a lot of people will say, no, you have to agree with every single thing that one text says or you have to disagree with every single thing that one text says. I think that people do this political parties too and so much more. They're very black and white and I live in a world of gray. And out of that, I choose to see the commonalities and the holism within so many spiritual faiths. So that's my answer. I'm either all spiritual faiths or none of them. You cannot put me in just one. (laughs) Now we have Deidre O'Keating says, I haven't heard you really share about your experience in the audience with Abraham. Were you ever called on to ask a question? The message of Abraham really resonates with me. However, there is something off-putting about the audience, something that feels cult-like. Curious if your gut has put up any warning signals at all. Okay, so my live experience with Abraham was awesome. I did not get called on to ask a question, but I did raise my hand. In terms of the cult-like thing, I definitely, when I started listening to Abraham, used to sense the struggling kind of sound in the voices of the people that were in the chair, in the hot seat. And I think that this is for two reasons. One, I think I was at that place personally, so I was resonating with either the recordings, I was attracting the recordings that had that same type of struggle in their voice, or two, I was judging the fact that they had problems as a negative sign. But the whole point of being in the hot seat is to talk about things you're not in alignment about so you can get into alignment. If you didn't have a problem, you sometimes will see people get in the hot seat that don't have a problem, but the whole point of it is to talk out the things that are sticking so you can get unstuck. So that perspective now, I can also say, there's actually part three to this, I like to think about babies crawling and babies walking. So if you're in an unconscious state and you're blaming people for your feelings and your thoughts and you are walking around blaming, blaming everyone to have all the circumstances as you want them so you can be happy and that you're not going to be happy until the circumstances happen, that's how our society is currently approaching life. That unconscious ability is like being a baby that's really, really, really good at crawling. That's what most of the society is doing. Most of the society is doing those things. So most of the society in this example would be the baby crawling around. And watching the person sit in the hot seat and talk to Abraham, to me, and watching them struggle with it is like watching a baby learning to walk. When a baby learns to walk, it falls down, it struggles. It looks like a less capable baby than the baby that's very, very capable at crawling. But that doesn't mean that the baby learning to walk is not actually evolving 
beyond the state and ability to crawl into something new. So I actually believe that learning how to control our thoughts and our emotions and not just live them by default and also learn how to accept and process emotions and not to say that we're never going to have negative ones, but learning how to process them appropriately, that is new ground for society and consciousness. And that looks like sometimes some straining and some struggle because they're learning to do something new they haven't done before. So it can look like they're worse off than others that are unconscious and basically just the baby crawling. And that's what I like to think about now. In terms of the cult-like nature, yeah, there's some people that can get really into it. I got really into it for a year. And though I maybe not was not cult-like in terms of finding a community around it, I really resonated with the message and really took a lot of time to spend in that energy and in that point of view. Now, I feel like I've pretty much integrated and memorized everything they've ever said because I spent so much time in it. So now for me, my practice is so much listening to the recordings of them talking because I know what they would say about any general experience. Now for me, it's as my life shows up for myself in situations, how can I apply the principles I know that they would be saying about the situation? So I'm less tied to listening to it ad nauseum and I'm more interested in applying it consistently because I know the point of view and the answer for this situation or that. So hopefully that answers your question. All right. Oh, Chase W. Reeves, my soul brother, he asks, what have you learned about falling back into flow after losing it for a while? If you don't call it losing it, what do you call it? Okay, well, Chase, I love you, first of all. Hello. Chase is someone I am in the spiritual exploration with. We like to chat with each other and message each other about what we are learning. So in terms of falling back into flow after losing it for a while, over time, it got easier to get out of flow and not freak out. But in the first two to seven months, I would say, Losing flow felt like losing a limb. (laughs) It felt so frustrating because in the beginning, it got really easy to get into and it got really, really heady. It got this huge, almost like a sugar rush. It was so awesome. And then when I would be out of it, it would feel so terrible because I was finally aware of it. And then there was this two to seven months of like getting out of it and being devastated by it. But over time, I got better at better at getting into it. And then when I would fall out, I would be less freaked out because I felt stronger at getting in. And even just by freaking out less, it would be easier to get back in in the first place. So I've learned that it gets easier as you get more used to it. So I would just say, yeah, there, I have definitely found that there's this kind of freak out period that happens. But over time, as you just keep practicing, it gets easier to stay in it. And then when you fall out of it with that strength, it becomes less of a big deal. And then over time, after that, after you're less of freaking out about it, sometimes it'll even get to a point of you're not even very focused on whether you're in flow or not. You're just kind of showing up with what is. (laughs) That's kind of where I'm at now. Now I'm not always going, am I in flow? Am I not in flow? I'm not even thinking about it that much. I'll definitely notice if I have friction that I'm out of flow but I'm not so focused every day on flow, flow, flow. 
So hopefully that answers your question. Now we have Michelle Ophia 14 says, Hi Jess, like you, I've been really resonating with Abraham Hicks teachings and found it wonderfully helpful in many situations in my everyday life. However, over the last few years, I've always had at least one roommate that have really hits the nerve of mine that I've been able to calm in other areas of my life. What do you recommend for those who are living or even working with people that trigger frustration, stress, or even anger? Thank you and say hi to Sydney for me. I studied abroad there and it has many pieces of my heart. Okay, so the question is that you're doing really good with Abraham. However, the last few years, I've always had at least one roommate that really hits the nerve of mine. Okay, so it sounds like this is a trend, and Abraham, I'm sure, would say that if you have the same trend, it's because you've got a point of attraction for that in your life. So if I would guess about what Abraham would say about this, it would be to focus on the aspects of that roommate that you like and the type of relationship you would like and to stay so focused on that that you don't pay attention. You selectively don't pay attention. You actively ignore the aspects you don't like about them. I know that's going to trigger so many egos and say, what? Ignore? Ignore? Yes, ignore it. Don't put your energy on the things you don't want to create. If they leave the clothing on the floor, try not to pay attention to the floor and give yourself tons of compassion when you do. But focus on the things that you do appreciate about that person and the aspects of the type of relationship in your roommates that you would like. And I really do think it's true. If you can really do that consistently enough, something will shift. Either they will shift their behaviors as you approve and appreciate all the great things about them, or they will flow out of your experience and you will find a new roommate that doesn't do it. At least that's the theory of it. <laughs> Hopefully that helps. Now we have Marta22 who said, have you read You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero? She talks about meditation, law of attraction, and how to get into a higher frequency. And I believe she's traveling around the world wherever flow takes her. I love the similarities and thoughts and she'd be a great interview. Thanks, I have not heard of her. That's awesome to know. Now we have Brookie Lee Boyd who said, what do you do when you are in a tense conversation you know can take you out of alignment? Ooh, I would try to reschedule the conversation if at all possible or take a break. That's what I would try to do. Now, do I always have the ability to do that? No, in that I don't often, when I'm triggered, think to do that. It's not that I couldn't do it. It's just that I wouldn't think to do it. So in that case... I remember recently having a conversation around ideas with a new friend, and this wasn't a tense conversation like it was mean or difficult, but it's just my more recent example of something where my ego could have gotten triggered to defend the beliefs I have. And one thing that I think helped, and I think he found it really unique, is that I didn't assert my beliefs at him. I allowed him to know I didn't know if I was right. So I didn't defend my point of view as being the ultimate right answer. I just shared what I believed. I don't know if that's useful in a tense conversation that you're thinking about, but I think that gave us the capacity to both have our perspectives on the ideas we were sharing without trying to force the other person to believe that our way was the only way or our way is the right way. And at the same time, it didn't say that what I believe is wrong either. So maybe that's helpful. Now we have Paper Is Love. He said, I'd love to try meditating first thing in the morning, but the last few times I've tried it, I fall back asleep or get too sleepy to focus. Do you have any suggestions on ways to be a morning meditator? Love the show. I don't know Paper Is Love because honestly, 
I meditate laying down in bed. So I turn off the phone alarm. My phone is actually also on airplane mode overnight as well. So I don't see any pings or alerts when I wake up. The alarm goes off. There's no messages waiting for me because I haven't turned it off. And I refuse 99.99999% of the time to turn off the airplane mode. I only do it after I've meditated. So I meditate immediately after the alarm goes off. And if I had to sit up and meditate right as I woke up, I wouldn't do it. So if you fall asleep while you're laying down, then I don't know what to say, but I think I feel more sleepy if I try to sit up versus laying. So I don't know if I have a suggestion for you because that's what I do. Maybe for you, you would need to sit up so you don't fall asleep. But for me, that would make it feel sleepier is to sit. So I just lay. Now we have Jack Maras who said, have you seen the Insei documentary on Netflix? Very interesting ideas on the science of intuition. Yes, I did see it. I did not see it on Netflix because Australia Netflix does not have it, but I saw it on a different station online or a different website and it was interesting. I was a little bit disappointed. I mean, obviously I would have talked on different aspects of intuition, so it wasn't exactly how I would have said, this is exactly how I would do a documentary on intuition. That said, I'm not gonna hate on it. I love the fact that intuition's becoming more popular and spoken about. So anything about intuition that's coming out to me is more interest in the subject. And I did love the boy, the kids and that boy, I can't remember his name in London, who is learning about meditation. That just like blew my mind to see these kids understand their brains and how they work at that age and that they're learning how to take themselves out of difficult situations or fights with their brothers or their parents. That was so encouraging for me. I actually kind of want to have that eight-year-old on the show. I loved it. I loved that kid especially. Now we have Kim Schreid who said, in your study of Abraham Hicks, have you paid any attention to the critiques of that teaching and Esther and her husband themselves? No, I have not. I resonate with it personally, so I'm not interested in people that criticize it. Now we have Chalk Jamie who said, have you tried many Aussie foods? Do you like the coffee? I actually don't drink coffee, so no, I haven't tried the coffee, the Aussie foods I can think of. Tim Tam, very good cookies. That's the thing that I can think of when I think of Australian food. Now we have Lindsay Budessa who said, I am currently starting a health coaching business and work full-time at a job I really cannot stand. I feel trapped whenever I'm there and I wish I could quit, but I need the income for the time being. How would you recommend staying in alignment through this transition? Write to your intuition, Lindsay. Please write to your intuition and do what it tells you to do. Last but not least, we have Erica Lenko, who said, in the last Q&A, you said that your family doesn't regularly tune into the podcast. How has that made you feel in the past, and have you found peace about it? I think others can relate to having families who either aren't interested or don't fully grasp your work. Thank you. Yes, they never were interested to the most part. Now, I don't want to say like that might hurt their feelings. Like my mom might go, no, I I am interested, but really it's not their jam. (laughs) And that's okay. I don't really expect them. It's like so far from many of their like thoughts, although my little brother sometimes has listened to it. But yeah, it's just not their jam. And it's okay. I don't like watching sports as much as they like watching sports. So it's okay. And I don't really follow their work Like, I don't really know that much about what my dad's doing or, you know, that kind of thing. So I I guess I don't really put it on myself. I don't have a story around the fact that they should follow it. So it doesn't really bother me that they don't, if that makes sense. I think not having a story around it probably is the most helpful. Just being there with whatever shows up is probably the most helpful thing that happens in that regard. And yeah, that wraps up this month's Q&A. 
Thank you guys so much as always for asking your questions, even breaking this one into two different parts. I still am scrolling through and there's so many more questions that I couldn't get to, but I will be doing another call out for more questions in the month to come. So stay tuned on Instagram for that. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And if you wanna find me on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me at Jess C as in channeling lively. For show notes for today's episode, head over to JessLively.com slash May 2017 questions. And before I share where I'm headed to next, I'd like to talk about today's sponsor, FreshBooks.com. FreshBooks is bookkeeping software for creatives and small business owners, especially if you have to invoice. This is a perfect system for you to check out. I love using FreshBooks for my bookkeeping. It's so easy to log in on my phone or on the desktop. The formulation of the page just magically changes to the colors of your site when you load your logo, which instantly made me love it right from the start. It's as easy to use as Facebook, and it's really great when you need to invoice or track your expenses. If you wanna give it a try yourself and see why I love it so much for 30 days for free, head over to freshbooks.com lively. I truly love it, and I hope you do too. Now let's talk about where I'm headed to next. I am staying here for the next few days in Byron Bay. So I'm here at this retreat center, as I mentioned, doing this channeling retreat. So I'm gonna stay here for the next few days. So until Thursday, when you hear the first episode of our special Quantum Living series, may something wonderful happen to you today. 